So um, we continue the sermon series on courage. And so I gave you a few definitions at the beginning of this. So definition of courage, the ability to do something that maybe frightens you. We talked about Jesus having clarity as he went off to well, the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And the reason why he did that is he wanted to get crystal clear and, and finding clarity. And um, as he was about to approach his mission, his calling placed upon him by Almighty God, his Father, and so we talked a little bit about conviction and how Jesus was actually convicted to have actually as a woman came to the synagogue one day and there he was, it was the Sabbath and he chooses to heal her anyway in spite of what he was going to have to go through. He felt convicted to heal her even in front of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was the Sabbath. And last week we talked a bit about candor and um, how the woman had, well, she crashed Simon's party. And so Jesus had been invited, but of course Simon didn't treat Jesus with much respect. He didn't offer him a kiss or wash his feet or do any of those things. But the woman poured out her love and just um, all herself at Jesus' feet. And so we, we talked a bit about how Jesus dealt with that particular situation with candor, with love and respect, how not only did he love and respect the woman, but he really loved and respected Simon, even though that Simon really treated him really, really bad. As a matter of fact, um, I gave you all kind of some steps to think about and as we broke down that story from Jesus, and Jesus gave us some really great um, tips on how to agree to disagree with somebody, but also to be able to take uh, maybe a kind of completely diffuse a very volatile situation. And I actually had two people who emailed me or called me this week and shared with me that they actually took those principles of Jesus and applied them to life, and they were very successful. I didn't know anybody was actually listening, but it was amazing. So anyway... <laughs> And so uh, we had that. So today we're going to talk a little bit about hope. And um, I, I love this topic today. And, and what's very interesting is, um, let me just start with this. And I had never noticed this because, you know, I've, um, I've preached on this particular, uh, this story many, many times, the healing of the paralyzed man and uh, the friends knocking a hole in the roof and hoisting him down. Uh, but there is this one little tagline here in the fifth chapter of Luke at the very end of the story. It, it says, and we have seen strange things today. I never noticed that. You know, str- I mean, you haven't seen strange things. Like, for, for example, when I read that, I'm thinking like UFO, Bigfoot, you know, Loch Ness Monster. We have seen strange things today. I have a pretty good feeling that's not what Luke was talking about. Um, but you get it, the whole idea of strange things. This last week, we all understand seeing strange things. Like, for example, I lived in our house for 11 years, and this has never happened. So all of a sudden, I, I see this bird that flies into my garage, and so the bird decides he's just going to hang out. And so I open the garage completely open, and he just doesn't want to go anywhere. I'm trying to shoo him out and so forth. So I'm thinking, well, suit yourself. And it was like at nighttime, I closed the garage because I didn't want to leave my, clo- my garage cl- uh, open up all night. So uh, he just decided he was going to hang So then what happens next, he brings all his buddies with him on. Also, so there was a cardinal showed up, a dove shows up with his little bitty birds. I think, what is going on? I have seen strange things this week. I just want you to know that the neighbor at the Hendren house, you've seen strange things. So we're talking a little bit about hope. This, this story is just full of hope. It's just gushing with hope. And so when I started thinking about this topic of hope, I mean, don't we all have hope in our lives? I mean, I have, like, I hope for, I hope for my children I think I hope for my great my my grandchild. I hope for my great grandchildren someday. Matter of fact, Donna was talking the other day, and we were watching the evening news, and they were talking about global warming. And true story was they were saying something to the fact, you know, if we can't turn this thing around in the next hundred years, it's really not going to be good. She turns to me, she says, "You know, Harold, that's not going to impact us, but that will impact our grandchild and our future great grandchildren." Hope. 
A matter of fact, uh, 11 or 12 years ago, my son Logan went to the University of Florida. And I'll never forget, we, um, I went to orientation with him. This is what typically what parents do. They go and kind of get them acclimated. And so there's a time in which the kids go off for their orientation. There's a time where the parents go sit down with the staff. And so the person got up and they handed everybody in that room, all the parents, a little blue piece of paper. And they said, I, I, wanna, I, I want you to take just a few moments and I want you to reflect upon your, your relationship with your child and, your, um, and I want you to write down just a couple of thoughts and about what you're feeling right now. And so um, this is my little blue piece of paper and this is what I wrote. This is 11 years ago. Matter of fact, the hindrance are very sentimental. I want you to know that. My, my wife has kept just about every single card and love note that I've ever written. It's on by the side of the bed. And she's kept in every love note that our children have ever wrote. And she sleeps with them underneath her pillow. We are pretty sentimental at the hindrances. Want you to know so I have this little piece of blue piece of paper. As a matter of fact, Donna took it and framed, had it framed for me for Father's Day one day, one year. And it was, the two words are hopeful and proud. So I do have hope. I have hope for my children. I have hope for my grandchildren. I have hope for my great-grandchildren. I have hope for our church. I really do. I, I love the church. I love the United Methodist Church. I know that you know we have some um, very challenging times in the next couple of years as we approach General Conference. It's been delayed till 2024, and you know we got a lot of work to do to be able to continue to find reconciliation and love and hope and grace amongst our, our congregations, not only here at New Covenant, but all across the world. Because the United Methodist Church is a global church. But I do have hope for our church. Matter of fact, when uh, uh, Dr. Allen was here the other night, he had a PowerPoint up, and one of the quotes that I, I really appreciated, there was actually two, he only read one of them. One was from T Pope Francis, the only future worth building includes everyone. And then Andy Stanley says, you know, disagreements, um, disagreement is unavoidable, but division is a choice. Hope. So I, I was thinking about that and I also was thinking about Pastor Ellen's prayer that she just prayed a few minutes ago by the Ukraine people and I know that we have hope that there's gonna be peace someday in that part of the world and I'm sure that's exactly what the people in Ukraine are praying for today. They have hope. We all need hope. So I was thinking this week, um, I was, I was, one of the things that Tom Berlin had talked about, um, actually in one of his sermons, you know, following Tom Berlin's book here about courage, and he talked about this guy, and I thought it was just a, a great story, um, about his name is um, Mattress Mac. And so here's a picture of Mattress Mac. He lives in Houston, Texas. Maybe you heard the story in 2019 and 2021, uh, two different hurricanes, Katrina and uh, uh, Harvey hit that particular area. And Mattress Mac did something that nobody else in the whole community did. He opened up all his stores to people. And, and he just allowed people to come and hang out in his stores. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of some, a family that was just hanging out in one of his stores. And so when they asked him the question, Mattress Mac, why are you doing this? And this is what he says, we can afford to do that. And what we can't afford is to cause these people to lose hope. We got to give them hope. So, you know, I think there's different ways of thinking about hope. Like the idea, um, well, you know, like a bride may come to me and say, Pastor Harold, I just hope it doesn't rain on my wedding day, right? Or, you know, um, a teenage girl is just bitten in love and she thinks, I just hope he calls tonight. 
or, you know, those, all this March Madness going on. And, and so I know that there's some, I watched last night, kids in the stands, they're just hoping and praying for their team, right? So we have that kind of hope. And we have a whole different level of hope. Like the woman goes in and the doctor comes out and says, you know, we found a, well, uh, we heard that you had a lump. And immediately she is immediately, immediately thinking, well, I hope it's not cancer. Or the, the single mother who's got three kids and she says to herself, I hope I can pay the bills this month. Or my friend Dan Sinaway, who's one of my dearest friends, he, he called me, I was so happy for him and Elisa that um, uh, they lived in Boynton Beach. This happened actually about, uh, t- uh, about 20 years ago, actually. And um, they finally, Elisa was able to give birth to this beautiful little boy. Um, his name is Danny. And... Um, so there were some complications with Danny, and they, his heart wasn't working quite right, and so they'd been waiting for this child for four or five or six years, finally to give birth to this child. And so Dan calls me up in the middle of the night, and he says, Harold, can you please come? Lily, this is at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Harold, can you please come? Can you please come baptize my child, because I don't know if he's going to make it tonight. So it was the only time over the last three, four years I ever baptized a child in an incubator. But I did do that that night. The next day, he, uh, he continued to survive, and they realized what was going on with his heart, and the surgeon had to call for immediately to have surgery. And um, when the surgeon opened up little Danny's heart, he said it's the size of a walnut. Can you imagine operating on something that's the size of a walnut? And, and I'll never forget what Dan said to me that day. It was just me and Dan and little Danny. And he says to me, Harold, I hope that God allows us to keep him. Now that kind of level of hope is totally different from March Madness. You get it? There's different levels to hope. So, so Tom Berlin had, a, I just thought was just a great definition of what hope is. And this is what he says. Hope is the assur- assurance that God is faithful and that the purposes of God has called you to under, undertake will be completed. Hope is the capacity to carry the expectation of the fulfillment of a task while working diligently and waiting patiently for an outcome that is in keeping with God's goodness, righteousness, and justice. Courage without hope is like a sail without wind. Hope in the Christian life has an importance of biblical proportions. Hope is the knowledge that goodness and mercy follow follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is the certainty that the kingdom of God is at hand. Hope is the courage that refuses to doubt God's goodness even when a cause to which a person is committed to is not being accomplished in the way that he or she hoped or at the speed that the person desires. Hope is what Jesus spoke to when he promised, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that's a pretty good definition of hope. You know what's interesting? You go back and look at the Bible and you look at the prophets and the poets, their definition of hope is a little different maybe from what we think about our definition of hope 
The definition that we find in the Bible isn't so much about basing our hope on the circumstances of life, but basically when you look at the biblical standpoint, it has to do with an expectant waiting for God or God's action. And every time it is used, it's ba- in the Bible, every time it's used, we in the reference to both, matter of fact, there are three different versions that we have. We have the English version, the word for hope, but there are three different in the Hebrew and the Greek. Every time it's used, it's based on the confidence and the certainty of God's character and promise. So this is just, this, when, when you think about the biblical definition of hope, it's different from this kind of blind optimism that we just hope and pray that, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory. This is not what it's about. No, no. Biblical-based hope is the confidence that God is faithful. It's not based on our circumstances, but it's in the confidence that we believe that God is faithful to us. Even in spite of our circumstances. You know, what I thought was interesting, I went back in this research this week, um, so do you think the children of Israel had hope while they were held in bondage? Do you realize how long the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt? 430 years. Now think about that. I mean, we as America have only been a country for almost 250 years. So let's just add another 180 more years onto that. And they haven't even got to the finish line yet. So every day they continue to wake up for 430 years and they believed that God and they had confidence someday, 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 God would restore to them and give them their freedom. That's hope. So they didn't base their, their hope on the circumstances. They based their hope, and you go back to biblical hope, it's not based on circumstances, it's based on the conviction that they believe that God is faithful and they're confident in that. So when I think about it perspective, I, I love this. Um, when you think about the perspective of this, in, this idea of hope, I, I, I wanted to share with you all um, just a couple of, you know, from time to time, people share with me a little bit. I get feedback. Actually, I get a lot of feedback from about my sermons. And so, um, and so one of the things I hear is that, you know, I, I have some people say, you know, as Pastor, I really like it, you know, when you tell stories. I, I totally get that. And I, I like how you kind of, you know, maybe you start over here and we have no idea where you're going, but somehow you kind of wrap it all up somehow, you know, and you figure out how to land the plane. And I get that. But one thing that I hear from time to time from people is they say, you know, what? I like it when you teach. And so, you know, I try to weave in. And so every Sunday, I really try to, um, you know, I'm going to tell you a story. And most of them are pretty true. And, and, um, and so, and, and I'm going to tell you, but I'm also try, going to try to maybe teach you something about the Bible and the story. So today we have this story. And this story is really, it's a story of, you know, uh, and by the way, what's very interesting is this particular story, the healing of the paralyzed man is in actually in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means to be seen together, okay? So we know that Mark was probably written first. Matthew and Luke actually borrow from Mark. So that's why when you read the three gospels, you see some of the stories and some of them are almost word for word identical. So that's the reason why this happens. And so, and which means that this particular story is really, really important. So we know that in Luke and, and also in Mark, we have um, this story where it involves um, these friends bringing the paralyzed man. Um, Matthew doesn't have that part. It just has Jesus healing a paralyzed man. So he, de- he leads that out. But I thought there were some really interesting inter- tidbits of information about this story. So let me just teach for like three minutes. So what, here's the first thing I want you to understand. Going back to this idea when Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, do you remember what I, that point of that sermon that week, about four weeks ago, I talked about clarity, okay? Okay. And so what, one of the things that Jesus was, when he got, when he was finished 
with the 40 days and 40 nights, he goes to his hometown, he opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he reads this particular piece of scripture about releasing the captives. And so this is another story that we find throughout the Gospel of Luke of of an example that Jesus is very intentional about releasing the captives and setting the oppressed free. Okay, I think it's really interesting. And so here's a little little also bit of information. Jesus came to free us from all that cripples, binds, and enslaves us. This story reveals the point to the whole world. So the story isn't just about the crippled man. The story's for you and for me. Um, by the way, this is the first, according to the gospel, Luke, this is the first of four controversial stories that we're gonna find. Matter of fact, I mean, this is just a warm-up for more controversy in the gospel, Luke. Luke gives us the detail that the four friends are the ones who bring the paralyzed or the, the paralytic. We only get that here in Luke. We don't get that, we don't have that, we have friends that are bringing them, but we get the detail that there are actually four friends that bring, bring him. Sin is connected to illness in this story. And, and so the tradition was, if, if you had something bad wrong with you, that you must have done something wrong to tick off God and you've been inflicted. And so we had that part of the story. Mark gives us this detail that's a little different from Luke. Mark gives us the detail that Jesus was probably in some kind of peasant's house because he talks about how they knocked a hole in the roof and they peeled back the clay. And so in a peasant's house, it would have had clay and some kind of thatch roof. But at Lucas is a detail that's a little different. Um, it gives us the detail they pull back, it pulls back the tiles on the roof. And so the tiles would have actually been part of a, maybe a more of a fluent home. So we don't really know if it was more of a peasant home or more of a fluent home. We know that this particular reference is the first reference in the Gospel of Luke has to do with faith. And Luke refers to the confidence and determination of those bringing the crippled man to Jesus. Confidence that he could heal him and determined to get him through the crowd to Jesus. Faith is not found in the assembly of the scribes and the Pharisees from all the surrounding region. But faith is found in the four unnamed friends. And then we have this, this scene, the faith of the friends, Jesus heals him. Which is amazing, isn't it? So he doesn't heal the man because he has faith. He heals him because of the faith of the four friends, which is actually what I read this last week. He doesn't even extract a confession of sin from the paralyzed man. This is a scandalous demonstration of God's unconditional mercy. And then I thought this was really interesting. There's this theme in the story about, well, honor and shame. I didn't realize this. So when, if, when the four friends bring, him, bring this guy to Jesus, it would bring honor upon Jesus if he can actually heal him. But he doesn't heal him, then there would be some sense of shame upon Jesus. And also it has everything to do with, and Jesus, this is kind of the great reversal in the story. And what, really what the story is ultimately all about when you get to the, down to the brass tacks Jesus has really pointed the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and saying, listen, if you place all your confidence in the orthodoxy of the day and you completely overlook mercy and compassion for another human, human being, then you miss the whole boat. And then what, basically what Jesus is saying, shame on you. 
If you place your faith over orthodoxy rather than being compassionate and empathetic and sympathetic, then shame on you. And then you get to the very end of this story. And I love this. So I mentioned it's in all three of the gospels, right? So in Matthew, um, the crowds, they're all a little different. So in Matthew, the crowds glorify God for giving such authority to Jesus. And Mark, the emphasis is on, on the healing and magnifying the healing. We have never seen anything like this before, they say. And Luke, Luke is a little different. Luke uses a term nobody else ever used before. We have seen strange things today. And what does strange things have to do with Luke? It has nothing to do with UFOs. It has nothing to do with Bigfoot. It has nothing to do with the Loch Ness Monster. It has nothing to do with the crazy birds in my attic, you know, none of that. No, no, it has everything to do with Jesus being a prophet, a miracle worker, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one who is able to forgive sins, the Lord. And all these things add up to stand in the presence of God in awe and wonder. We have seen strange things today means everything that when people saw what happened on that particular day as Jesus heals this man, not only of his sins, but also of being crippled, they stand in awe. And when you stand in awe, we have seen strange things today. Can I be men on that? So what does this all this story mean to us today? So here's a couple little things I want to share with you all. Point number one. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Can you say that with me? Friends bring friends to Jesus. It's just so simple. You know, so we find in the gospel, Luke's a little different. We have four friends that bring, somebody tell you a quick little story about friends bring friends to Jesus. Maybe this is maybe a part of an evangelistic part of my message today, because I think that we should always continue to bring people to church and friends bring friends to Jesus. True story. So um, when I was uh, like in 17 years old, um, my father was a pastor at Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. And so I was part of MYF. Does anybody remember MYF, Methodist Youth Fellowship? Okay, um, that's what they called it back in the good old days. And so my friend, um, Paul, we called him Too Tall Paul. Matter of fact, here's a picture of Too Tall Paul. Um, uh, this is when he was 17 years old. The reason why we called him Too Tall Paul because he was about six foot six. He was the biggest kid in school. He was a big kid. And so I, you know, I just, because uh, he and I played basketball together. And so I, I invited him to come to youth group. And so he was, oh, no, I can't, I can't do that. And I said, no, Paul, you should come. So then one of my other friends, Eileen Weir, she was really cute. So she invited him and he decided he would come. And so, um, <laughs> and so he showed up at the parking lot the day. He drove up Gremlin. It was yellow. I'll never forget. He had the big old 60 tires. You remember Gremlins? Okay. And so he had a Gremlin car. And so this is like the early, early 19, about 1980. And so he pulls up the parking lot. I'll never forget this. And I said, well, ta- Paul. Tutal Paul, come on in. And he goes, oh, no, I can't come in. And I said, well, I mean, what are you doing? He says, no, I just kind of came to hang out. And I said, well, okay. And I said, but why don't you come on in? And he says, no, no, I, I can't come in right now. I, you know, I got other things to do. We had absolutely nothing else to do. Uh, but he made up an excuse. So um, I said, okay, you know, see yourself. Please come back. About a week later, you know what happens? He comes back. He, this time he pulls in. I said, too tall, Paul, what are you doing? He said, I just kind of came to hang out. And I said, well, why don't you come in? And he finally came in through the front door. And I watched a great transformation in that kid's life. And I remember one night, he just, 
after about, I don't know, maybe six months, nine months, I just watched the Lord work on him. And one night he just came completely unglued. And then here's this big, huge 17-year-old kid who's the biggest kid in school, bawling his head off because the Lord got a hold of him. I'll never forget that. So you know how things go. You know, um, I went off to college at Florida Southern. Now, he didn't go to college. And so, you know, we be, were kind of, you know, still friends, but we'd really kind of lost touch with each other. And then one day, I think I was a sophomore in college, my friend Eileen comes and knocks on my door in my dormitory. And she says, Harold, did you hear? And I said, did I hear what, Eileen? She woke me up. And she, and she says, well, too tall Paul was killed in a car accident last night. Yeah. And my youth minister, Chip Bud. He did the service. If it wouldn't have been for the church, uh, you know, I don't know what they would have done for a service. But they certainly would have been, not have been the service that we had for him. See, see here's a key point, and then getting at, is that you never know. And you never know how your impact as a friend and bringing someone else to Jesus Christ may totally transform their relationship with God. Friends bring friends to Jesus. Here's a second little point today. When hope is lost, it's time to find Jesus. Can you say it with me? When hope is lost, it's time to find Jesus. And so, you know, I, I, there are times in our lives that, you know, we're just broken. I, I found this quote this last week. The narrow path is not an easy street. I love that. And we all can relate to that in our lives. I, I think about, you know, putting ourselves in front of Jesus is the smartest thing that we can ever do when we feel paralyzed or trapped or in need of healing emotionally, spiritually, physically. This is why we need the church more than ever. Courage without hope is like a sail without wind. I like this, this part of the story about hope moves us to go the extra mile with these four friends. I like the idea hope motivates us to take the next necessary faithful step in the story. It, it shapes us. Hope empowers the most persistent acts of love in your life because it tells you that we, the people of Jesus Christ, care for each other in difficult situations and that we are not lost causes. I, I love the imagery here of that we are not lost causes. I think about the, I, I think about the mother who's got a struggling alcoholic son and just continues to love him unconditionally. I think about the father who has a runaway daughter and she's on the street. I, I think about the teacher who's got a kid who comes from a broken home and they don't give up hope. I, I, I love this, when hope is, seems is, is lost, it's time to find Jesus. Number three is remember that God is for us. Can you say it with me? Remember that God is for us. As Christ followers, we are people of promise. We are people of faith. Remember, we do not place our faith on circumstances, but we place it on the promise and the confidence and our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the definition of hope in the Bible 
And so I, I think, you know, I, I love what Paul says is not only so, but we also glorify in your sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can it be meant on that? Man, I love that. So remember that God is for us, even in spite of our circumstances. Boy, howdy, I can relate to this. I mean, I, I, this all happened to me within six months, true story. Um, my sister became extremely um, ill emotionally. About two months later, my brother-in-law had a substantial heart attack because he was so stressed out taking care of my sister. Um, about a month or so later, I got run over by a truck and um, you know, almost lost my life. And then once I got recovered over three months, I came back to work and COVID started. Deal with that, right? But yet, in the midst of those six months of my life, this is what I know. I know that God is faithful and I continue to place my hope and my confidence in him. God is for us. God is with us. So here's the last little point today for us to think about in this story. Jesus always knows what we need and not necessarily what we want. Can you say that with me? Jesus always knows what we need and not necessarily what we want. So listen, this is what I, you know, there's a difference between wants and needs. So I, I need to be loved. I need to be loved by my family. I need affirmation. Sometimes I'm insecure. I need friends. I need a roof over my head. I need food in my belly. I need Mountain Dew in the refrigerator. By the way, there still isn't any back here from last week. Um, you know, not just, just saying, uh, I need backbone, I need self-confidence, I need hope. Okay, so we get that, right? But there is a difference between what we call the difference between needs and wants. I found this, this last week, I thought it was very interesting. The term needs is defined as individual basic requirements that must be fulfilled in order to survive. Wants are described as the goods and services which an individual would like to have. An individual needs are limited while his, his or her wants are unlimited. Needs are something that you must have in order to live. On the contrary, wants are something that you wish to have so as to add comfort to your life. There's a difference between needs and wants. So I close with this thought today. My friends, uh, Beth and Kaz Kazimerick, matter of fact, I'm sure that they're watching, uh, actually they're gonna be watching tonight. They called me up. They were a part of my church at Faith. And they were just wonderful people. Uh, she calls me up about a month or so ago. And she says, Harold, you know, I, I watch you every single Sunday night. Kaz and I have a certain time. It's like we go to church every single Sunday night and we attend New Covenant. She says, can I join your church? I said, absolutely. Even though they live 250 miles away, they live in Boynton Beach. So this is a commercial. For those who are watching online, I want you to know there's about 1,100 of you. I want you to know if you have not joined the church, I want you to know you can still join our church. You can stay connected. We would love for you to join our church, okay? Even though if you live in Alaska or you live in another part of the world, you can join New Covenant United Methodist Church because this is a place that we call home. Can I amen on that? Okay, so she calls me up and says, Harold, can I join your church? I said, absolutely. So we got her hooked up. She and Kaz joined a church over the last couple of weeks. And they're, they're tithing, they attend every week, they're just, uh, just uh, very much a part and connected to our church. Matter of fact, I get a text from her every single night telling me about how my sermon went. She tells me, okay. And, and so, so here's the story. About 15 years ago, Kaz is confined to a wheelchair. And he hasn't walked, I don't know, maybe for 30, 40 years. So I was holding a healing service at uh, Faith. 
And so um, I, it was like a block an hour a time. People could come in. I was there at the sanctuary. And, and so it, as it turned out, they were the only ones at that particular block that they came in. So there comes Cass down the wheel in his wheelchair. And then I, I was standing at the altar. And then um, I, I said, we had a nice little talk. And I said, okay, so let's pray. And so um, before I laid hands on him, I said, Cass, what is it you want me to pray for? You know what Cass said? He would have said the same thing I would have said. He says, Harold, I just want to walk again. Now listen, here's the thought as I reflected upon that, that moment in my ministry. I'm, I, 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 maybe I should have rephrased the question. Cass, what is it not what you want? Cass, what is it you need right now? And, and if I would ask that question of Cass, Kaz would have answered differently because I know his heart. Kaz would have answered, Harold, what I need is for Christ to continue to love me. Harold, what I need is that Christ would continue to forgive me. So that's a whole different level of hope. So here's, here's the last little part. So um, I pray for him. I pray over him. And I wish I could tell you that a miracle happened that he got out of his wheelchair and he walked out the door. It didn't happen. So this is what Cass says to me after I prayed for him. He says, Harold, I, I want you to know something. I, I want you to know that, um, you know, if I never walk again, I want you to know that someday I will run in heaven. See, that is a whole different level of hope. See, that is the level, as I share with you from the very beginning of this sermon, hope is not based on our circumstances. Hope is, has everything to do with the confidence and the faith that we place in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.